You're listening to DraftKings Network. A supportive work environment can help everyone working in schools stay resilient. Just finding people that can reassure me that I'm doing my best and that there are people out there who understand me and can help me through these situations. You are not alone. Leaning on each other, uh, colleagues in education is, is essential. You have to. We take care of one another. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. That's cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. Every time something happens, though, that's bad, I'm going to say this never would have happened under Snoop Dogg. So <laughs> take that. <laughs> that's the new bar. This wouldn't have happened under Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Not in Snoop's America. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan, and I, as always, am joined by maybe what doesn't get enough attention about this person, someone who, for all her fun and for all her wit, is one of the most thoughtful and empathetic people I know when it comes to caring about the mental health um, and overall just quality of life of others. And that is Sarah Sivian. Sarah, um, how are you today? Well, I'm better now. That's really nice to hear. I Well, I wasn't bad before either. I'm relieved that the season's over, which is kind of shitty, but... Sometimes you just feel like that, then you miss it in a week, but I'm ready to look onward to the draft and to fun projects for next season. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we would be nothing if it weren't for, and she was actually on time today, which is impressive knowing that our genius member has still not made sure all her travel plans are in line for the draft, but she'll figure it out as she always does. The athletics, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi. How are you? I'm great i'm having a wonderful day it's i just i'm over this week like i think we talked about it like last podcast actually it was today is just like not my day it was a crappy day and then literally a bird shit on me today while i was taking me out i it was right in my hair i've had enough i'm done i the season's <laughs> over i don't care get through pre-agency and i need i need nothing for like a minute <laughs> get this girl a honeydew and her pool please <laughs> wait it's gonna rain today on top of it i'm just oh. It's called a honey deuce. I don't think I ever that ever connected with my mind. Yeah, a honey deuce. And then they have like the honeydew that looks like tennis balls. Right. Like but I, I didn't tennis. The deuce never was like yeah. lost on me until this very moment. So that's very exciting. No, it's it's cute because it's the only drink of any Grand Slam that like really connects, I feel like, with tennis. Like for Wimbledon, they have like the Pim's Cup and it's cute and it's a nice drink and it has a nice summery vibe to it, but it doesn't connect with tennis, neither just drinking Stella out of like chalices. No, the honey deuce is the elite tennis drink. Well, I, I'm proud to have learned something today. All right. It is time. Oh, people, you should have caught on to that. I first. know. Listen, I'm not at my best, obviously. And and I'm trying on the tennis. I'm trying. But sometimes I, I just shut it out. Also, Already, yes, court season. Let's go. Yes, Sarah, I didn't tell, point this out to you, but my friends point out to me. I'm seeing Taylor on Saturday in Pittsburgh, and it is the 13th stop on her tour. Uh-oh, she's going to play long live. What, do you think? what, do what you does bet? this mean? What is 13? What's the relevance? It's her favorite number, and she's known to release albums on the 13th. It's her birth, December 13th, Sagittarius, Queens, and <laughs> she loves a little 13, so there's going to be something special for sure. Yes. This is your you first excited? show, right? This is my first show, yes. I have another okay. one in Seattle. Yes. Are we going to get a fit check and like- We'll see how it all comes together. 
things are in the mail. We'll see. And the weather's been crazy. So we'll see. All right, here we go. Let's get to the actual hockey content that people crave. Sarah Sivian, what time is it? Bit of news. We're getting you, we're getting you like a mini drum someday. Yes. That's the next season project. Everyone buy merch so we can get Sarah a drum. <laughs> That's right. what I need. Well, let's go through some things here. Um, first, let's touch on something that we spent a lot of time analyzing more so last episode, um, but it is now actually official that Peter Laviolette is the next coach of the Rangers. My friends, keep me honest here. This is his fifth, fifth. Metro team, team, uh, sixth head coaching job overall. And this in coupled with the fact that we had two quote unquote recycled coaches, apparently the new woke take is that recycled coaches are actually good. So congratulations to Peter Laviolette, who is now just, I think, what is it? However many teams shy of hitting every single Metro stop in the world. Um, are you surprised that people are making now this push to really reinforce that, hey, recycled coaches are actually good? Sarah, what do you think of this new narrative that some people are really trying to get out there? I just love all the reverse narratives and like the anti-woke, woke take. It's just like we are, ta- are out taking ourselves. I think sometimes I just have such a problem with like when Shana posted her story about the coaches being recycled and why that's not good. That doesn't mean she's saying all, not all recycled coaches, hashtag. Like it's not every time you say a statement, it's like we run to say, what about this? What about that? It's like, what if we're talking about a general rule and you don't misconstrue that for once? Yes, for sure. I know it's so frustrating. Of course, experience matters. Of course it is relevant, but I think the bigger challenge is to always make sure that when you're looking to fill a role, whatever that role is, that you make sure you're looking for, just like we do with players, you're looking for value that other people haven't already found. And maybe that's in the form of someone who's already done the job before, but maybe it isn't. Shana, you had a little bit of a, a, a kerfuffle, a virtual kerfuffle going on on the Twitter yesterday with this whole thing. What is your ultimate take? I know you were very clear in your points, but are you surprised at the pushback that hashtag recycled coaches are actually good now. Not really, because it feels like everyone's so busy carrying water for like recycled coaches when like we're not here to do them favors. And it's not saying all recycled coaches are bad. And if you look at like the Stanley Cup final, people are like, or even the final four teams, like, well, look, well, Rod Brindamore is not a recycled coach. He's a first time NHL head coach. Bruce Cassidy, I don't count Washington. I count Boston as his first time around. And sometimes your second time's better. Or sometimes you're fired for reasons maybe you don't deserve. Like, I don't I don't put him in the same bucket as I would Paul Maurice, who we've all said we're wrong about. But like you can't tell me Peter Laviolette and like Pete DeBoer are the greatest coaches around because of their experience. I hate that take because sometimes people want what they know. They want experience. They want what they know is out there. But what we know is also what they got fired for numerous times at this point. And when they get handed a job five minutes after being fired, why would you change anything about your strategy? So to me, that's the wrong take when you know, maybe what you don't know is something good and different. There's a risk to taking, there's a risk in that, but there's also a risk for going for the someone who keeps striking out. So I'm interested to see how it works out for the Rangers parameters of experience. It makes sense. But like, I think you need fresh assistant coaches. This is someone who not for nothing has brought 
the same assistant coach with him from Carolina to Philly to Nashville to Washington and Kevin McCarthy. And while he's done a good job with defense, he's done a terrible job of power plays and keeps getting those opportunities too. So you have to learn somewhere. And I just don't know if this is the one to do it, but not every recycled coach is bad, but not everyone is good either. Like, can we just relax? It is interesting and quite uh, ironic that on the eve of the week where the newest crop of potential new NHL players is drafted into the league and we talk about, oh, we found this guy that nobody else knew about that we don't employ, just a similar philosophy and potentially being uh, creative in in who we bring in to lead our teams. But uh, congrats again to Peter Laviolette. It'll be interesting to see what he does in such a high-pressure situation. Some other news And honestly, we have not talked about this a ton. I'm going to say that at the end of the day, this stuff, I just tell me when it's over and tell me who got it. But the Ottawa Senators have been sold. Um, Good for them. Uh, The family walks away with, I I believe the quoted price, though not confirmed, is $950 million, um, if that is correct. And coming out is dark horse candidate. I'm trusting the words of people who did follow this much more closely and were much smarter than me about this. Um, Michael Andlauer is going to be the new owner of the Ottawa Senators. Now, to be clear, this sale is not complete until approved by the NHL Board of Governors. So there's still a small chance this couldn't go through. Um, Like I said, this, again, I find it interesting. It is relevant news, but I'm not so interested in the politics and the process of the sale. I'm more interested to see how things shake out and what kind of changes and what kind of evolution this is for the organization and the the people who are part of it. Shana, you've been in sports business. You probably have a lot better thoughts about this than I ever would. What was your thought process? What were your takes as you saw this go down? Well, it's interesting, like this is the person who comes out at the end of it because everyone was so excited about about, like the celebrity names connected to it and rightfully so. And hopefully there's a new opportunity for them. Like, I don't know, maybe in Arizona, a team that could use a change in ownership hands. But for this, um, yeah, I mean, look, the revenue I'm sure the NHL is going to love, right, that the team was bought and they could use more revenue every single day of the week. But from like an actual perspective on the senators, it's interesting, like how ownership changing hands is going to have a trickle down effect onto the ice, which is something we never know. Sometimes ownership changes hands and nothing else does. And in some cases, it feels like this one, it's going to change how they run the senators day to day, like everywhere. So we just know his experience from the Hamilton Bulldogs. And that was for me, what I'm intrigued by is that like, that was an organization that did a good job of having data involved in their process. So I'm curious if he brings that here and what it means for someone like Pierre Dorian, who I think had his best year as general manager yet, but it like you look at his entire history and I can see why they're going to want their own people like, you know, who Ann Lauer had managing the Bulldogs. So, you know, it's, I think that's going to be an interesting one for the like impact everywhere because senators had problems on the ice for years. They're not a playoff team, but also off the ice with the arena location and empty seats and all the drama surrounding that. Yeah, it can be interesting, right? Because it does. I'm with you. I think that last year was a a really good year for the organization. And, um, you know, it seemed to coincide with maybe some freedom finally being given to the employees who run the team with the passing of of the previous owner, um, who, you know, by some reports was a very controlling individual. So it'll be interesting to deduce where the faults may have lay. Uh, Sarah, do you care about the process of this at all? Do you care about the sale at all? What do you care about when it comes to the fact that there's a new owner of the Ottawa Senators? I'm not a fan of this one. I, after the most climatic 
race between like Ryan Reynolds and Snoop Dogg. It goes to the hockey guy, of course. <laughs> of course, it does in Canada. And I think other teams say what you will about Tom Dundon, and I will say all of it. But I think he's taken a really interesting, unique approach. So as Bill Foley in Vegas, and you just saw the fruit of that labor. And I just think I like the more interesting approaches. I wanted to have the first black owner in NHL history, but I get that things happen sometimes. And like Shana was saying with the data, it's not like he's prime hockey guy that's going to be this stiff, stuffy. I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but I do think it is a nice deviation for a Canadian team, right? It's like, okay, they're not going to fully go off the deep end and try something completely new, but it is a nice little step in a different direction. And every time something happens, though, that's bad, I'm going to say this never would have happened under Snoop Dogg. So (laughs) take that. (laughs) That's the new bar. This wouldn't have happened under Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Not in Snoop's America. Amazing. I want Snoop in the NHL. Please save the coyote Snoop. I just want to be broadcasting. He's excellent. He's excellent. Maybe it's like a new precedent of, okay, there's going to be interesting people that want to buy these teams. So we'll see. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to one more bit of news. This is a little bit longer past, but we didn't have time to fit it in with everything that's been going on. And that's just kind of doing a quick vibe check with the Winnipeg Jets. We talked about when they were trying to get into the postseason and make a push there that this was perhaps the closing of a window for them. And it looks like that's going to be true in a shocking, not shocking development. Pierre-Luc Dubois has alerted the team that he wants out. Um, He's open to a sign and trade, um, but it has long been rumored and reported that this is a player who will not stop until he gets his way and gets to play for the Montreal Canadiens. So he's on his way out basically more or less um, as a pending UFA, Connor Hellebuck, who has done so much for this team on the ice, uh, doesn't want to ex- uh, doesn't want to extend either. That's coming out. We kind of knew this was coming to be the end of an era, even with the age of some of their core players. Shayna, how do you assess the state of things for the Winnipeg Jets? Uh, the state is bad. There's a lot of turbulence <laughs> for the Jets right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate for a safe landing. Because, like, honestly, everybody is trying to parachute out of there, like, immediately. How'd I do? Too many. Too many. Too many. I just, I don't know. Like, I, I for Pierre-Luc Dubois, I feel like a lot of people always have takes on him. And it's like, on the one hand, do I get it that it's like, he goes to a team, it's a bad situation. He's instantly like, I'm out, I'm done. Like, there needs to be a little bit of accountability. But I also understand a player wanting to dictate where they get to spend their life. And it's not like he did anything wrong by saying initially, like, I will probably want to test free agency. I think it's right to inform your team of that so they know. Now, obviously, things have evolved a bit to, I don't want to sign here at all. But, like, you do deserve that right. And the system is really fucked up, which is why players don't get to until they're older. But, I mean, I can understand why teams are a little hesitant, too, if he's going to ask for eight or nine million dollars. So that's, like, one part of it. Um, but Helen Buck, that's, that's going to crush them if he leaves, but it makes the most sense because he's free agent in a year. So get what you can and try to speed up this process. Absolutely. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on how quickly or not quickly Winnipeg can rebound and become a true contender again, after having to go through some changes? 
honestly, no. Like, I need to see the changes. I, I need them to actually do something and then I will feel more positively about them. It was one of the things I'm looking back on all my predictions and all my notions. And I will admit when I take an L and I was wrong about a lot of stuff throughout this cup run, I was not wrong about the Winnipeg Jets. The vibes were not there. And you see it in Paul Maurice, somebody who's been in so many locker rooms saying, I can't help you. Like, I think that it was literally, (laughs) you don't ever see that. When do you see a coach walking away and it's not a mutual thing that's fake? It's like, he he was like, I'm out. Y'all, I'm out. And I, that was the first sign. Then you got just the leadership vibes are off because nobody would want to take accountability for this roster. And I kind of understand that looking back, it's like, I don't want this to fall on me. Nobody wants any of this to fall on them. And that means you need to reconstruct. So I, I would like, it's going to be such a huge off season for them. That's going to see if the dominoes fall or not with the pending UFAs for next year, because a lot of people's contracts aren't up this year, but they are, um next year so it's just like how are they going to approach this yeah for sure it's going to be interesting but uh keep your eyes tuned to winnipeg to see what kind of decisions they do or do not make particularly as the draft does near and sometimes that can be really active for reasons other than picking 18 year olds who you think will be your next number one center someday all right uh we of course are never without gifts from our besties who we know listen shana what time is it? Bestie Kyle made a hire, and now it's how does it affect the Leafs? It is how does it affect the Leafs? You teased what the actual news is, Shayna. Tell us what's happening. Well, Kyle's other bestie besides us, Jason Spezza, who left the Leafs organization after Dubis did, is joining the Penguins as an assistant GM. And it's kind of interesting because we saw some speculation, like would he end up in Ottawa, especially with new uh, ownership and potential new management because he played there for so long or would he fo- you know follow Dubis and now we have our answer and good for him right yeah it's interesting right because he went ahead and left even before it sounds like from what we know has been reported even before Kyle Dubis knew if he would be taking another job knew where that job would be so it's not like he said peace out to the Leafs knowing that there was a guaranteed job for him somewhere else. It's always interesting too, as we've talked about, to see how a front office constructs itself in terms of the titles may be the same, but depending on people's different skill sets, the actual responsibilities can be different. Sarah, what do you think that Jason Spezza is going to bring to the table as he moves to the town of Steel? I do think that there is a something to be said in hiring somebody that you know that you work well with. You know what I mean? Because sometimes like the package deal really does work. And like if you bounce ideas off each other, I don't know. I think it's adorable that you have to buy them in a package deal basically. And I think I like it for both of them. I mean, it's not like the pressure's off in Pittsburgh. That, those are some passionate fans, but it is a different opportunity, a different context for them. It is. And it'll be interesting because look at us contradicting ourselves as we just said that we wanted to see fresh blood in coaching, but we like two besties moving to. He is to, fresh blood, though. Like, think about it. he was fair he enough. was what, an advisor before for a year or two. And I feel like he seems like a really smart person, Jason Spezza. Like he was a smart player. And I think I don't know. I just there's something about him. Like, I want to see how he does in more front facing hockey ops roles like he's you do have to go up the chain, right? You have to earn your opportunities and it feels like a stepping stone. So while he's not a new face for Duvis. He is 
a new face in this kind of capacity. So like, let's, let's see what happens. Going to be interesting. We'll see uh, what the, the Leafs or not the Leafs continue to do. The anti-Leafs, the, the former Leafs, the news of <laughs> the, former, former. The, the, the affecting the formerly known as Leafs. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> there we'll we go. It. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, let's get to it, y'all. It is time for hockey talk. As you all should probably know, if you were people who listen to this podcast, the Stanley Cup playoffs came to an end last night, Tuesday, with the Vegas Golden Knights coming away with a convincing, unquestioned, unchallenged, dominant 9-3 win in Game 5 to take the series. Unfortunately, when all of us really wanted to see some really good hockey, this really wasn't it. We saw a Florida team that just was really beaten up, the details of which are starting to come out came out a little bit last night, but they just never seemed to have a handle or be able to put the foot down um, in a game or in a series. And when they did win, it was it was having to force overtime late, not necessarily a commanding performance. We'll get to Florida. We'll talk about what happened there. But first, what impressed you most now that the cup run is done, now that the Vegas Golden Knights have done their promise to get a cup within their first six years, and there's so many narratives to pick here, we can look at... Jonathan Odie marches so we can look at a goaltending carousel that comes through at the end. What impressed you most, Sarah, when you look in totality at what the Golden Knights were able to do and get their first cup? It's as I've been saying, they it's they make it look so easy with the rush. Once they get a lead, they get a generous lead. And it's like you get this sense throughout the playoffs that anything can happen, but you don't get that sense. And it's so hard to really fundamentally explain it. I'm sure Shana will have a good article explaining like what it's all about, but, and then I'll read it and we'll all be smarter. But the vibe with the team is just like, once they have you where they want you, they're going to close it out and it, you're, they're going to embarrass you. And then I just thought about, you've never seen so clearly somebody's like impact than Matthew Kachuk on this team. And it's what we were saying, like Matthew Kachuk stole the show from Barkov. Barkov's a non-factor in this game. And it's just, Bobrovsky couldn't save them. <laughs> so here you are. Dana, the, I'm, I'm with Sarah. The Golden Knights made it almost boring because they were so effective. Is this, we know that Florida was banged up. And again, we'll get to that in a second. But is this a comment on parity or is this just a team really leveling it up to get to the ultimate prize this year i feel like they were really leveling it up to get to the ultimate prize because we saw some things go wrong for them in early rounds and it feels like they found answers for it they were even though it's like one of their weaker rosters there's a depth to them they have an effective fourth line that is like the definition of hard to play against and they have these forward pairings through the top nine that they were able to mix and match and find like the right combinations for. They're deep on defense. I know people just go, but their size, but it's like, no, but their skill, but their style of play. There was a little bit of luck for them. Like this is a team, um, I saw this a few days ago with Dom Lushishan's article, but I didn't check after the last game, but they had, you know, one of the highest shooting percentages of any playoff team since that's been recorded. And obviously it's super lucky, but I think part of it too is the context. Like you said, Sarah, like, the way that they came out to a lead. They didn't, you know, they they took their shots, they scored their goals, they really had a lead. And then they could just 
sit back, not even sit back, but just not allow, not take many shots, but not allow their opponents to shoot either. And it worked for them, which sometimes that's, you know, not the most sustainable strategy. So when you look at how they played stylistically and the way that they just shut games down, it almost makes sense that their shooting percentages didn't get a chance to like regulate in game. And it contributed to that, but still like, you know, there's a little bit of luck, there's a little bit of skill and there's the strategy behind it all. So it's impressive to me. And I like the fact that this is the year they didn't make some big move. It's barbershop. That was their trade. And after all the years of big moves coming together, it was like the little tweak is what pushed them over the edge. So Sarah, let's talk about some of the individual standouts um, that helped Vegas get to where they are today, which I'm sure is hopefully still drunk, if not excessively hung over and celebrating with a very large cup in hand. But uh, Jonathan Odie Marcheso, yes, I'm going to still call him that till the end of time. He ends the playoffs in all situations tied with Leon Dreisaitl for the most goals of any player in the postseason. 25 total points, as I mentioned, gets the con Smythe. And I was talking with someone about this last night. You know, this is a player everyone's saying undrafted, undrafted. And I remember hearing the stories about members of the Blue Jackets front office finding this little player literally, you know, in, in the in the AHL randomly and bringing him into the Blue Jackets organization first. And and then, you know, the rest of his his uh, career has been well storied. But it is true. Jonathan Odimarchiso is a smaller player. This isn't a player that necessarily gets all of the vibe checks, gets all of the shout outs. He does get the start from his coach to, to begin this game last night. Is this just him becoming his truest self or have you seen something different in what this player has done, particularly this postseason? I think it's a story about your story not necessarily being over at any turn of any event, right? Like he was undrafted and now he's the 10th undrafted player to win a con Smythe. And when you think about it, like Wayne Gretzky was undrafted in the WHA situations like that. He really is the first truly undrafted player to win it. And then he was exposed in the expansion draft by Florida and they wanted they wanted that to happen. They wanted Vegas to take him. And it's just kind of like not giving up on yourself. And I mean, you saw him play and you loved him. He always had that potential and he was never a bad player. It just goes to show putting somebody in the right position, working hard. I'm sure he spent every off season working his ass off, right? There's still value in that. And I think it just goes to show if you don't give up on yourself and you're put in a good position, good things can happen. And if you get gifted a player, sorry, like you mentioned the expansion draft thing. And it's so funny to see like the revisionist history of it too. Like last night you're seeing, well, they only got March so because they agreed to take on Smith when that's not what happened. That's not, that's not, that is not what happened. They literally gave March so away for nothing and gave Riley Smith away for a fourth because they did not, Dale Talon did not want anything from the team, like anyone that was brought in by people who weren't him that year that he was pushed up to president and not in management he wanted to dismantle the team. That was, he He did everything he could. He tried to bring Erica Branson back and get rid of Jason Demers. He got rid of March, so he got rid of Smith. And it's funny to see it last night, like, oh, well, they had to do, they didn't have to do this. They gave both players away and it bit them. And it's unfortunate for the Panthers that Talon's bad decisions are biting them in the Stanley Cup final, but that's the way it goes. Well, and there's a lot that goes into that too. But Shana, here's what I want to ask you about. The Second player with in terms of number of goals this postseason is one Mark Stone, a player I know that all three of us are big fans of. He has 11 goals, again, second only to Jam and Leon Dreisaitl. Has a hat trick last night. Now, again, last night was kind of crazy with nine total, but a hat trick nonetheless. 
the captain of the team. He takes the cup first, gives a tremendous interview in that great voice with that great delivery he has. He made Gary Bettman look so very tiny and small standing next to him. Um, but Mark Stone's impact. This is a player we could talk about all day, but you know, this their leader, their captain comes back from back surgery twice. What was Mark Stone's meaning to his team this postseason? Literally everything. Like, I feel like there's the leadership perspective of it because he's their captain. I feel like he's someone you're going to want to run through a brick wall for. There's the fact that he just came back from two back surgeries in what was it, 13 months to be here. You know, I know a lot of people are complaining, well, the long-term IR system, that's how they were able to do it because they, you know, got around the rules. Like everybody does it. Just shut up and be pissed if your team doesn't. That's, I don't care. He had back surgery and then came back. You want to have back surgery and try to go back to your job, go off and do that and tell me how fun it is. I'm sure it's not a great time. And then there's the actual skill perspective because having him, which started as their third line, you know, that that's huge. That's huge to their depth. They have someone in Mark Stone who can take on top competition and not just shut down opponents, but literally push play the other way. And we were seeing him do that last night. Um, he's one of the best at takeaways and you can split that workload between him and, you know, Will Carlson. And to, to have two players to do that is so big. We we focus on players like Philip Deneau thriving in the playoffs, right? Like we heard that narrative when Montreal went on their run, you have two players that can do that to go bark off and go Kachuk and shut them both down on two different lines because you can play the matchup game better than most. That's huge. So it's just, he brings a little bit of everything. And then to see the expressive Mark Stone winning the cup and scoring those goals, like I feel like that brought even more energy to, you know, the high level Vegas already had. And speaking of big surgeries and big, this is one of the things that I think is, and you know, I, I made my pitch for having local media voices elevated during postseason. The stories coming out of this are great, obviously, but I feel like any team that wins has so many awesome narratives that come out of it. We could celebrate so many different angles, but you know, another player who comes back from significant surgery and goes through a massive trade is Jack Eichel. And he was a huge part of his team as well setting up so many goals, controlling play. Shayna has talked about that on this show multiple times, but there was always the narrative. We remember the draft. We remember the pouty Jack Eichel face, but in the end, Jack Eichel gets the better of his bestie, Connor McDavid, who was drafted right before him in the debate that controlled that year's entry draft. Sarah, is Jack Eichel better than Connor McDavid? Yes, you heard it here. here <laughs> Jack Eichel is better than Connor McDavid, and it's because he's from North Chelmsford, Massachusetts, which is close to home for me. But in all seriousness, speaking of not giving up, I mean, the guy spent over a decade, his entire career in Buffalo, and they got it's even worse how close they kept getting at the end to making it and falling short. Just absolutely brutal because you want to see it's just like McDavid. You want to see the best players in the league compete on these big stages and the way he didn't shy away from the big moments. The first he's never lost a playoff series. I think that's a pretty badass thing to say. How about that for clutch? And I do with all the stories about the golden Knights, not deserving this or all the things they've done. They've also given this player an opportunity to get a surgery. The other team wasn't going to let him and take care of his health and his future. And he paid them back. And I think that's just a really good testament to the vibes maybe not everybody else in the world likes about the golden knights but they like about themselves in the locker room that elevated them to this moment Tina, another player that was just huge i don't think anyone had on their bingo card that if the vegas golden knights won a stanley cup this year that their goaltender would be aiden hill 
but here he is. And he really was strong. I loved to, <laughs> did you guys see last night? Like people were posting pictures of him just hanging out like on his net. Cause so much action was down on the other end of the ice and not for him, but you know, it's all about key saves at key times. And he certainly answered that bell. Aiden Hill is a free agent. As you've talked about Shana, this looks like a big payday coming his way. Talk about Aiden Hill's impact. Do you think he's a Vegas golden Knight come next season? I feel like he Vegas should try to make that happen. Like I know, you know, like they, they still Robin Leonard on the books. Like, let's not forget, like he's just out the entire year with injury, but like, I don't, I don't think we've heard anything on that, like in months. So honestly, who knows? Um, going into the playoffs, I kind of felt like maybe they could get away with an Aiden Hill, Logan Thompson tandem again, but like this only cements that like, if you're Vegas, you have to be careful with spending because you're always up against the cap and you don't want to like dump off players for nothing. But I feel like he's earned a nice contract for himself and maybe not the splashiest and the most amount of money in the world. And I, I think even he probably knows that at this point, like, even though he just was one of their most important players, but we'll have to see like who sets the bidding up. Like it's a really interesting year for goalies because we actually could see some like big time goalie trades on top of it. So we'll see if that affects his value. But what he did was so impressive. The fact that he was able to do it cold, essentially, because he, you know, hadn't played because of injury. He never got a chance to win his starters net back when he was healthy because Brassois was playing so well. And then here it was, they needed him and he answered the ball in every single way. So Good for him. It definitely deserves every every accolade coming to him right now and deserves like a nice payday. Uh, I I would be really surprised if Vegas doesn't try to get ahead of that, though. So many players stepping up for the Golden Knights and helping them do that. Shout out to William Carlson, who's also a great two-way player who I've loved watching play. Again, one of the, the few original Vegas Golden Knights from the expansion draft to take home that cup last night. But there was another team on the ice. And as we said, these stories will continue to come out as that team holds their exit interviews. And as we hear things that players were going through, things that coaches were going through and sacrifices that were made across that organization, I'm sure. But the biggest hole, obviously, and we already mentioned this, was Matthew Kachuk. Um, we could tell he was hurt. We didn't know what was wrong. He played hurt in game four. He could not make it through to game five. Paul Maurice said that he was hopeful uh, post game last night. He said that he was hopeful that if maybe they sat him out, if there was a game six, that he might have been able to make it through. But then it comes out. It's a broken sternum and his brother is literally helping him get out of bed. And his teammates are literally dressing him, tying his skates so that he can go play in game four. I'm literally so torn here because we know what a huge impact player this was. We know he scored a goal even when broken, but it's a broken sternum people. Sarah, is this a holy shit player? Take care of yourself situation. Or is this where we do marvel at the grit of the true hockey player? Well, I think, I think everybody just wants to get their opinion off on this so much that we're failing to realize he didn't play. Like, yes, he played through one of them. And then when it got to a point where he couldn't anymore, he sat it out. And I think that was the right decision. He did the right thing. But everyone's like, stop glorifying this. I have not really seen, maybe I just haven't been online, but I have not seen anybody glorifying this. And he didn't glorify it himself. He said, I am going to sit this one out because obviously he couldn't move his arm. He had his, as you said, teammates putting clothes on for him, like as emotional and meaningful as that is it's just obviously 
they didn't have much of a chance. Like even before we didn't know if he was playing or not. Yeah. You guys asked me, do you think they have a chance? And I'm like, literally, no, I think it's all over just because the way Vegas has been dominating, not even on at five on five, but like in the ways they have needed to, to win a Stanley cup. And if he's going to hurt himself further when he has so much, I think it's just getting started with the Panthers right now. Yeah. And I don't think you want to like permanently damage anything. For sure. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't have the hot take on it. You know, I didn't immediately jump to one of the two extremes because I I'm torn on it. Another player that we heard came out with a slew of injuries um, was defender Aaron Ekblad and Shayna. We heard not just a broken foot suffered in the Boston ser- series, but he also had to come back from a concussion two shoulder dislocations and an oblique tear. He did not have the best playoffs or final series, but my God, man, again, this is a list that I I can't even imagine. What is your take on the Ekblad situation? And let's take away the judgments of should he or shouldn't he have been playing? Do you think he was still contributing to his team? Or do you think that maybe taking him out at certain points, to Sarah's point of Matthew Kachuk, finally, it takes himself out of the game, may have ultimately been a better choice. Where do you fall on this situation? I like my reaction to seeing the injuries is just holy shit. Like how yeah. does anybody function with those injuries, let alone play hockey? Like it's, it's so wild to me. And that's why like the rest, it felt like they, it felt like Florida needed the rest, but it also felt like when I feel like if you're hurt and you rest and you start to heal and then you're thrown back into mm. it, instead of keeping that adrenaline going, like maybe that did hurt them. It's a really tricky one because with Ekblad, like he's struggled all year. It's not like he struggled just in the postseason. And with Florida, you also have to look at it and go, well, who else is going to play if it's not Ekblad? Like, could you try to limit his minutes? Sure. But then you're sending out Mark Stallmore and you already have the injury to Radko Gudis that was straining them, you know, in this series too. So I don't know how many options they had. It's always a tough one though, to balance that line of, do you play him? Do they not? If they like, if Kachuk's body could have handled it, I'm sure he would have done it. We don't know if it was him that said I outright can't or the doctors, you know, you think of the fact that it sounds like he played part of game three with that, because I, I would assume he got hurt early that when he got hurt early in game three, that's when it happened. And he played through game four. We saw he was a shell of himself. I think that's a difference from what we saw from Ekblad, honestly, because Ekblad still like we saw him skate up to, up the ice and score the other night you know like we saw him contribute last night too but it's different but though I think the thing that we have to consider with all of this is like what about the long-term effects because Maurice is saying last night well we have players who are going to be out for four to six months after their injuries and you know that's gonna affect us to start next year's season like how much do you give up by allowing a player to play through this. Uh, I don't know for Ekblad. I don't know like which players exactly it's going to be, but that's another like dicey situation. Would it have mattered if he played through it? Or it, right. th- once he got hurt, that was the injury timeline. So it literally doesn't matter. He was already screwed for next season. Like at what point is it too much? Like we saw, like look at Landeskog right now for playing through his injury through the postseason when he got hurt and then a whole nother year of it. Like he just- And right now he'd probably say it was worth it though. I yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it is interesting. And, it, you know, it, it's funny how year after year, it just reinforces the cliche is true that it's not just necessarily being the best team that wins the Stanley Cup. It is truly a war of attrition. And we saw how much injury impacted uh, the Florida Panthers. There's one more player I wanted to mention just quickly and Sarah, get your thoughts on. I mean, this was 
One of the iconic images of the earlier rounds was Radko Gouda screaming in goaltenders' faces after game-winning goals or after dominant wins. And he is reported to have been dealing with a high ankle sprain, which, you know, as a skater, that's kind of a big deal. Those can be really, really bad. Just the impact of not having Radko Gudis at 100%. And as Shayna said, for a team where defense wasn't their strong point to begin with, what did you see the impact of his injury being on this team? I know when you talk about intangibles in the Stanley Cup, you talk about Radko Gudis and he had been in everybody's face. He'd been getting on Marchand's nerves, which is so hard to do. And it felt like within as the rounds kept going when he was in, he just kept giving players hell and making them ineffective. And that's a skill in itself. And it was part of why the Panthers were so unbelievably clutch. And then when they turned into a pumpkin, it was like, yeah. Kachuk's hurt, no Rago Gudis, and it all kind of fell apart because of those intangibles. 100%. I agree. One final player I just want to touch on here quickly. And, you know, this player has had a much maligned tenure in Florida. That's Sergei Bobrovsky. And this season, finally, he gets vaulted into prominence again, particularly for his postseason play after it really was looking like this was a player that the organization was going to try and jettison out or find a way to just manage a really massive contract that would weigh them down. But Bobrovsky, without question, was stellar coming into the final. And then, you know, obviously there were big gaps in the scores in these five final games and a not great showing um, in game five. I actually wondered aloud to the people I was with, do you even pull him at this point just to save the man some dignity? But overall, Shayna, how should we look at Sergei Bobrovsky specifically this season and this postseason run? Have we misunderstood, have we underestimated what this player can still do and what should we expect going into next year, do you think? I don't I don't know if we like are underestimating what he can do. Like we were all surprised at his postseason. We know he can be great at, at his best. Like this is a really, really, really good goaltender. We know Golton doesn't age super well. We know that he has flaws in pressure situations sometimes. We know that he has flaws just in his regular workload if he plays too much. But like at his core, we know he's a super talented goalie, right? Like he's someone who puts a lot of work into it and does absolutely try to be the difference maker. And he got to be it for Florida after not, you know, after not playing for a while, after not being the starter to open the postseason. So I think he deserves a ton of credit in the world for what he did. But now it's can you do it again? Can you do it in the regular season and help get your team to the postseason and then play at this level at this point in your career? How do you balance the workload between, you know, goaltenders in Florida moving forward? Like there are a lot of questions to ask. And do you consider sacrificing that contract to try to address your team elsewhere, which you still need to do. Like, I don't think any of that changes, unfortunately, despite what he did for his team, because it's just a bad contract, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that they have too many options, but like, that is like the fact of it. It's a bad contract. It's not going to get any better despite what he just did. But I do think he deserves a lot of credit. And I don't think it's something that should change all of a sudden because, you know, the final wasn't his best. The defensive coverage was absolutely terrible. You know, they scouted him and they beat him ways that previous opponents weren't doing. So I think that we should just like kind of like let him have this high and just see where it goes from here. Well, it's going to be interesting. Congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights our humblest respect for the Florida Panthers in doing what they did. Um, we're going to talk on a few more storylines in a second, but the Too Many Men Cup recorded expertly on this three-by-five card. Here we go. Stanley Cup final predictions. Sarah, do you remember what you said? 
said Panthers in seven. Yes. Shana, do you remember what you said? Panthers in six. I said <laughs> Vegas Golden Aren't you Knights. glad we picked Florida so you could be different with Vegas? Which means we helped we you. We deserve half of all four rounds of this 2022-2023 playoff. Coming in third with seven points, Shayna Goldman. Yep. yep. Don't trust the dogs. Coming. No. Coming in second with 10 points, Sarah Sivian. 12 points <laughs> for Allison Lucan, who couldn't even pick the Seattle Kraken at any point in time, had to opt out of series. Okay, I'll stop gloating now. Can I get a piece of merch? Yeah, yes. you can get okay. a piece of merch. Okay. I'll get a piece of merch. And speaking of one piece of, of merch, one, <laughs> one, one, one crumb, a slice of rice, a slice get of your rice. one slice of rice. Yes. And speaking of which, uh, shout out to y'all who've been sending us your vibe check photos and videos. Um, after Shana finally gets a nap, she's going to pick our winner from all that we got in and she will be reaching out. We'll publish the name and the winner. And she'll reach out to let that person know um, what they have won. We thank you all for sharing your playoff experience with us. Uh, my friends, we end every episode with our favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. And we are going to choose, Sarah Sivian, you're up first, as is tradition, Stanley Cup Final Championship Narratives. Are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Here you go. Number one. Jonathan Quick receives the Stanley Cup before Jack Eichel. Alex Petrangelo has his little four-year-old daughter, Evelyn, on the ice with him after a very scary time for her with her health earlier this season. Number three, Bruce Cassidy will bring the cup to Cape Cod. The floor is yours. Yeah, I have to marry the story about the little baby daughter because she couldn't walk at the beginning of this season and now it's just kind of like what a moment he must have experienced in the whole family and those are the kind of things that sports are all about and another thing that i wrote about that's so likable about the golden knights they're so involved in the community and after the october 1st tragedy in vegas with the shooting the way they stood up and brought the community together it's really nice that they could get some reward for that, right? Especially with their families, because everybody goes through hard things, but it's just kind of it makes it extra sweeter when good things happen. And I'm going to, oh, I have to fuck Bruce Cassidy going to the Cape Cod because let's get some oysters on me and let me drink a mudslide out of the cup, Bruce. No tea, no shade here. I'm happy for you. And I am going to kill the... As much as I love this storyline, I thought it was hilarious that Alec Martinez gave the cup to Jonathan Quick because they're both on the Kings. So I see the confusion. I think probably the only reason that happened was he saw the goalie pads and thought it was Aiden Hill. But well, if you're there, you might as well lift it. Dana, up to you. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to agree on everything. Um, the quick before Eichel, it should have been Eichel first. Absolutely. I don't know if like Martinez looked at him and was like, well, quick's been a trooper for just like being around the team and bringing good vibes in the locker room and not playing. Like, I really, really, really don't know, but whatever. There's more important things. I'm going to fuck Bruce Cassidy, bring the cup to Cape Cod, but I will really love it if someone 
Send Sarah Sivian out there to cover his day with the cup. I need this content. So we'll bump that up to Mary if that happens. And then I'm marrying the story with Trangelo's daughter. Um, That story, I think it was on NHL.com, was excellent. Uh, The fact that he was willing to give up his hockey career for her. He dropped everything to be with his family when he needed to. Uh, It just, you know, it feels like he's someone who understands, like, the perspective of everything. He's won the cup before, but this one, you know, he just wants to do it for his family, for his kids. Everything about it. Uh, I love it. Great for that family. Great for his daughter. Like, they deserve this moment. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, I'm only going to change one thing. Um, I'm going to marry the Petrangelo family for all the reasons that you two both brilliantly already explained. I'm actually going to fuck Jonathan Quick getting the cup first because, again, to me, the final is a time for narratives. And I love that Alec Martinez scored in his last Stanley Cup winning winning game. He scores in this game. And, you know, it, it is kind of crazy. We hear how close these teams get. And then sometimes they never get a chance to celebrate together again or share a moment like this together again. And it seemed like this really, really meant something um, to Alec. And so I, I'm going to fuck that. And and honestly, I, I care less about Bruce Cassidy bringing the cup to Cape Cod. So by process of elimination, I will I will kill that. Um, all right, my friends, this has been a long and fun and crazy run. We are actually going to be taking next week off to regroup, get a little rest, gather our thoughts, and then we'll be back with you hopefully for a draft preview before things start to get crazy in Nashville. Shayna and Sarah will be there with boots on the ground. So hopefully they'll be able to bring you the content that you crave, not just in the usual ways, but maybe spice up our social just a little bit. And if you aren't following us there already, be sure to do so. You can catch us at two underscore much underscore man on both Instagram and Twitter. And if you'd like to wear merch to represent your very favorite podcast, you can find that at TooManyMenMerch.com. All the great things that you need. I'll update y'all on what my Too Many Men Cup prize is. We'll see what I pick. I think I have an idea already. Um, But check that out. Remember, too, that we do have products that support our LGBTQ plus community. And in this month of pride, we send more love than ever to all of our brothers, sisters, and others who are there. We love you. We support you. And we ask everyone who's listening to do something, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to y'all soon. Love you. Bye. A lot is being asked of people working in schools. Teachers have more and more things to do. The shortage of teachers right now, um, you know, having to fill a lot of holes and, and wear a lot of hats, it's, it's very difficult. There are steps you can take to manage stressful times, whether in the classroom or outside of work. For me personally, I can disconnect by just being outside. Laughing <laughs> works a lot. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now.